We return this morning to Matthew chapter 5, 1 to 16. Our beatitude of emphasis is found in verse 8. And seeing the multitudes, Jesus went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. I read that slow for the purpose of the next hour. Trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Look again at 5.8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Father, this morning we thank you for this gathering. We are cognizant of something our Lord said while on earth. It rings so true in our hearts and minds upon reflection, and that is that where our treasure is, there is a reflection of our heart. We pray today that our heart treasure would be revealed to be you, and only you. For blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see you. Help us then in the understanding of this profound thing that Jesus said long ago. And for that we will praise you this morning in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. Syria was at war with Israel back in the day of Elisha, the prophet. The king of Syria, Ben-Hadad, was bewildered by the fact that Israel seemed to know every move of the Syrian army before they took it. 
And one of Ben Hayden's servants said to him, told him that they did not have an Israeli mole or an Israeli spy, spy in their midst, but that uh, this, this guy, Elisha the prophet, was revealing to the king of Israel every secret move of the enemy king in advance. And so not surprising, the Syrian king sent a division of elite soldiers, a hit squad, uh, to find and capture Elisha. Second Kings chapter 6 records that Elisha's servant became very alarmed when seeing this elite squad, this elite hit team, uh, a host of the enemy, gather around him and his master. Elisha, I'm sure with a smile, looked at his servant and said, I'm going to pray for you. And he prayed for the servant that his eyes would be opened, that, quote, he may see. And the Bible says, and the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire. Round about Elisha. Elisha, the prophet, regularly saw unseen things. Elisha's servant practically never saw unseen things. But on this occasion of record, the servant of Elisha was allowed to see the unseen army of invisible angels poised at the ready to do God's bidding in protecting his dear prophet and servant. Seeing the unseen is exactly what King Jesus promised the pure of heart. Throughout Scripture, the people of God in all generations are warned of the eternal dangers of being heartless toward God, half-hearted toward God, double-hearted toward God, divided of heart from God. The Old Testament Shema, under the law, commanded love to God to flow from a worshiper's whole heart in response to the love of God for his people. The Torah, the first by five books of the Revelation uh, given to Israel, was known itself to be pure as God is pure, and it was known to be that which God used to open the eyes of spiritual understanding when embraced with a whole heart. The familiar Psalm 19, with those seven depictions of the Word of God, talk about the uniqueness of how the commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. 
It was commonly understood in the Old Testament era that the heart demand under the law meant possessing a clean and holy heart and mind before God. Purity was the demand placed upon the command center, the inward command center uh, of the individual uh, regarding his thinking, regarding his choosing, regarding his feeling. And while it is easy for us to think that the law was primarily that which governed the external man, clearly, clearly, upon study and emphasis, we see that God demanded a pure heart, mind, and will of his people from the get-go. It was also understood in the Old Testament era that no man could make his own heart holy and clean. Proverbs 29, 20, verse 9 says, Who can say, I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my sin. And the expected answer, of course, is nobody. No individual can clean their own heart. No individual can say, I am pure from my sin as a result of self-effort or merit. There is one and only one that can do that, and of course that would be God. Therefore, we, uh, as previously identified in the core of this messianic prophecy, that God has made a promise to Israel of the raising up of a righteous branch, a raising up of a righteous king, in relationship to a new-hearted people. A people of a new heart, of a new spirit, to be placed within a trusting individual. Jeremiah 23, Jeremiah 33, Ezekiel 11, Ezekiel 36 are all Old Testament chapters of Messianic prophecy that talk about clean heart, new heart, clean heart, new heart, as from God. Long, long, long before Dr. Bernard, in December of 1967, transplanted the physical heart of a 27-year-old car crash victim into the chest of a 53-year-old man suffering from chronic heart disease, long before that, God had promised to to transplant the sinful and stony hearts of Israelis with new hearts that were clean and that were holy. God is the greatest heart transplant expert in the universe. He doesn't just correct your old heart. He gives you a new heart. Now let's plug... Today's beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, into our weekly outline of disposition and demand and disclosure. Number one, the disposition of King Jesus is rightly described as pure-hearted. The Bible word for pure is rendering in the English our word cathartic. 
It speaks of the blessed qualities of cleanliness and decontamination. A medical doctor may well prescribe a cathartic to clean out your digestive system. I have nothing else to say about that. The psychiatrist employs emotional and mental exercises as cathartic to cleanse the mind from inordinate distress and evil. The general population speaks of a, quote, good cry as being emotionally cathartic. But the Bible word, as used by King Jesus, and surely true of King Jesus, has to do with a clean and uncontaminated heart before God. It is much, much more than just conscience clear. It is indeed a heart that is pure, holy, right before God. The voice out of heaven at the baptism of Jesus, as previously studied, said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. We understand that to be the proclamation of God the Father's satisfaction in God the Son, who had become man. It is a pronouncement of the Father's satisfaction in his spiritual and moral integrity. It is a statement of the Father's satisfaction in the Son as to his uncompromised heart to fulfill the saving mission of the eternal Godhead. We usually summarize those elements of God's satisfaction, the Father's satisfaction in the Son, by saying that the Lord Jesus Christ was pleasing to the Father as to his person, and he was pleasing to the Father as to his work. The person and the work of Christ are the particular prongs of emphasis in the New Testament concerning the Father's satisfaction in the Son. And it's on that basis of the Father's satisfaction in the Son that you and I are given the gospel invitation to find our satisfaction in the Son. And our satisfaction in Jesus Christ, God's Son, is to be satisfaction in the person, his person, and his redemptive work. And so when we talk about our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ, we talk about the person of Christ and the work of Christ. Those are the particular prongs of emphasis. When the Father pronounced his satisfaction, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And on that basis, the invitation is given to us in order that you and I might come to the place where we say, this is my beloved Savior in whom I am well pleased as to his person and to his work. You can grasp something of the purity of the heart of the Lord Jesus at age 12 when with singleness of mind and purpose, he spoke of being about the Father's business. Jesus was and is pure of mind, pure of body, pure of personal volition and will. 
Jesus the Christ is the only human being born of a woman without need of a new heart, of a heart transplant. All sinful humanity, each and every person, needs a new heart. The greatest need of all humanity is a new heart. And Spectrum can't help you with that. Jesus Christ, as to his disposition, pure heart, pure heart. Secondly, demand of King Jesus that was placed upon kingdom citizens is purity of heart. Kingdom blessedness rests upon the pure of heart. Again, the demand was certainly not a new thing in Israel. Take, for example, Proverbs 4.23, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. You live, I live, as hearted. Our heart determines our activity. John Piper says the heart is made for God. To trust God, to love God. The meaning of an impure heart is anything that takes God's place or lessens the degree of faith in or love to God. And again, I remind you of the words of the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Psalm 119 is the longest single chapter in all the Bible, and it is a personal dedication uh, to loving the Word of God and the God of that Word. The longest chapter in the Bible is dedicated to the singularity of heart, the singularity of mind, the singularity of treasure, that is focused upon the word of God and the God of that word. King Jesus said it, Blessed are the pure in heart. Even good things done for others and the lifting up of your fellow man without this purity of heart can in no wise please God. The demand of God is for purity as he is pure, and holiness as he is holy. Jesus said, blessed are the pure of heart. The third word of our weekly outline is disclosure. And this is where it gets phenomenally rich. The disclosure connected to the pure of heart by King Jesus is the sight of God. 
Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. The English rendering of the verb to see here might make us think that we have in these words of the Lord Jesus Christ a far-off promise of a day in the distant future when we shall behold, as it were, the face of God. Now, there's an element of truth to that, but that is not the truth of this text. The Greek tense, the Greek verb, verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see, shall see, shall see God. Indicative middle voice means to continually behold and perceive God. Theologically speaking, we must teach the truth that God in his essence cannot be seen. Old Testament Moses, of course, asked to see see God. And as you recall, uh, saw God's backside, whatever that means. He saw something of the glory of God as to the backside, whatever that means. New Testament Paul was caught up into the third heaven, and gives to us a report that God alone, quote, has immortality dwelling in light, which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen or can see. Paul's clear statement in 1 Timothy 6.16 would give us indication that nobody ever has seen God and nobody ever will see God. Ever. And so you and I are left with a quandary because our Lord Jesus Christ said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You recall Job and the preaching that we did last spring from that 19th chapter where Job says with confidence, I know though worms should destroy this body, I know that in my flesh I shall see God. Not going to let go of that. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Yet clearly, God in his fullness of essence has never been seen. And Paul said, nor can we see him. So the question is, how can the Lord Jesus speak of seeing God in a continuing sense, in a perpetuating sense, when the heart is pure? then God can be seen 
regardless of time or generation, would be the clear statement of King Jesus in this beatitude. The question is to be asked, can I see? Can you see? We could put it in the terms familiar of a song we sing at sporting events and at big gatherings. Oh, say, can you see? And I'm not talking about some flag and some fireworks, but I'm asking you, based upon the clear statement of the Lord Jesus in this beatitude, can you see something of God in creation this morning? Can you see something of God in his communication this morning? Can you see something of God in the circumstances of your life this morning? Our dead buddy Worsby says that herein we have the basic principle that we see what we love. If our hearts are united to fear and to love God, then we shall see God in the whole of his creation and see God in the pages of his written communication and see God in the control of all earthly circumstances. Now just think about those three C's, creation, communication, and circumstance. If you're going to look at a sunset, if you're going to look at a cloudy sky, if you're going to look at uh, uh, the skim of snow on green grass yet in January, if you're going to look at any of those things in creation and uh, have sight of God, then your heart's going to have to be pure. The pure of heart see God. The pure of heart see God in creation. They see God in the leaf, in the tree. They see God in the grass, in the bird. They see God in the weather patterns. They see God in creation. Do you see God in creation? If you do, then there must be something pure about your heart. Because only the pure of heart see God in creation. For many, many people, it's just a blooming tree. It's a goofy bird. It's a blade of grass. What in the world is there to be excited about in a green blade of grass? Well, nothing. Unless you see in that blade of grass, something of God. And then what about the written communication? What is the single most repeated statement of Christians in the modern era? Well, I read it, but I don't get it. I read it, but I don't understand it. I read it, but I don't get anything out of it. And what is the number one thing we hear of congregants attending the sermon. Well, I went, but I didn't get nothing out of it. I listened to the guy, but I didn't get nothing out of it. Well, listen, uh, let me just give you this biblical insight. 
as to what it takes in order to see things in the forest of God's word. Purity of heart. I remind you of a story I've told you before, and I don't apologize for telling you again. Howard Keithley was the old man's name. Back in the day, years and years and years ago, I'm talking about, you know, when Paul Canfield was a kid. But nonetheless, uh, years and years and years ago, uh, Howard Keithley was uh, active in Michigan as a, as a help to local churches and uh, as a, uh, a pastor of pastors. And, uh, and one particular Sunday when I was a very little boy, uh, Howard Keithley came to our church uh, to preach when our pastor was sick. And, uh, and that afternoon, there was nobody else to care for uh, the visiting uh, pastor. And so uh, my mother and dad volunteered. And uh, Howard Keithley ended up at our home for roast beef dinner. We didn't eat that just once in a while on Sunday. That was like every Sunday. I ate roast beef dinner every Sunday for all the days I was ever a kid. I'm telling you, I, I don't think we ever had anything else but roast beef dinner on Sunday. That's just the way it was. Well, on that day, Howard Keithley joined us. And uh, I took the occasion to note that the old man enjoyed his roast beef and mashed potatoes. And when dinner was done and my mother was cleaning up and my dad had excused himself to go take care of something in another room, Howard Keithley and I ended up together in the living room at Webster Street House. And he looked at me and he said, Timothy, I sense you have a heart for God. Yes, I do. I said to the old preacher, he said, come over here. I want to tell you something. It's okay. So I went over to him. We had one of those old, uh, they called it Nagahide. Uh, we had one of those old Nagahide couches, fake leather. Uh, uh, Nagahide couches. You know, you could buy it for a nickel back in that day. But nonetheless, had one of these old Nagahide couches. And I crawled up next to Howard Keithley on the Nagahide couch. And, uh, and he said to me, so I look around your living room, and I see the deer head with antlers, and I see the ducks mounted, and I see the fish mounted, and I take note of the fact that you are, you are coming from a hunting and fishing family. I said, yep. He said, have you ever shot anything? I said, yep, I got my first duck last year, I told him. It was a buffle head, and uh, first duck. And my dad had it stuffed for me, and so I have a stuffed duck. Uh, well, I had it, don't have any more. But nonetheless, uh, a buffle head duck was the first duck I ever, I ever took as a, as a hunter. And, uh, and uh, Howard Keithley said, look at all those things. He said, let me ask, ask you a question. He said, uh, do you like to go in the woods with your dad? Oh, yeah, yeah, I like to go in the woods with my dad. He said, let me ask you a question. When you go out in the woods... Do you talk real loud to your dad? Do you stomp your feet? Do you sniffle your nose? Never. The only deer hunting instruction I ever received from my grandfather was, let the snot run down your face. Do not sniffle. That's what he told me. Apparently deer like to hear sniffles, and when they hear it, they run. So don't sniffle. Just let her run, baby, let her run. That's what my grandpa told me. And he shot a deer every year, so I took him seriously. Our Keithley said to me, you go in the woods, what do you do? I said, well, you get quiet. He said, right. He said, now when you go to approach God and his word, the most important thing you'll ever do in relationship to that is to get quiet. 
Because he said, if you open your Bible in a hurry and you've got places to go and there's things to do and there's people to see and you read your little portion for the day and say, I sucked it in, Lord, I sucked it in. I was faithful to suck it in, Lord. He said, you won't see nothing in God's forest. But if you get quiet, just like you get quiet in the woods, and pretty soon you'll hear a bird, and then you'll see a squirrel, and then you'll hear the, the buck as it comes walking through the woods right to left. Quiet, heart, pure heart required to see things in God's woods. And if you want to know why pastors today are so dull, so boring, so lacking in insight, is because they're all running to do your bidding and not the bidding of the Lord God. Most pastors don't have 10 minutes a week to get quiet before God in his word. It's little wonder that they don't see much and have much to savor nor much to share because that is the ordained process of it. One must have heart prepared to see, things seen, savored, things savored, shown. That's the way it works. That's the only way it works. And then that third category, just quickly, and we got to move on, but that third category, seeing God in creation, seeing God in communication, seeing God in circumstance, that is the hardest one for me yet. And that is when things happen, whatever those things are, it is difficult. It is just absolutely, ongoingly difficult to see the blessed hand of God in everything. And in fact, a lot of things, we just somehow believe that God must have fallen asleep, that he must have grown inattentive, when, of course, in our heads, our theology training comes to bear, and we know that just simply is not possible. But in order to see God in your current earthly circumstance, you must have a pure heart. And you can't get it from anywhere but God. The Lord Jesus saw. The Lord Jesus saw God the Father in the fall of every sparrow. He saw something true of God the Father in the white petals of a flowering lily. The eye sees what the heart loves. That was true for Jesus on earth. And that can be true for you. 
and true for me by way of pure heart. I really love the contribution of John MacArthur in regards to this particular emphasis in the scripture. He notes in his commentary six kinds of purity as referenced in scripture. I'll just give them to you quick. One, primal purity, primal purity. That's purity that exists only in God. Only God is primally pure. Secondly, created purity. That is the purity that existed before the fall of Adam. Created purity. God created in six literal days, pronounced all things good, made man, both of the male and female variety, and pronounced all things very good, pure, created purity. Number three, positional purity. It's the purity and standing before God that we are given the moment we place our faith in Christ. Positional purity. Number four, actual purity. This is the purity of the new heart, the new nature implanted that is to develop and grow over the days of our sanctification. An actual development of righteousness within by the work of the Spirit of God. Never perfect this side of heaven, but nonetheless actual. Number five, practical purity. This is the effort that we make in cooperation with God to work out what he has worked in with trembling and fear. This is where that imperative comes to bear. Be ye holy, for I am holy. 1 Peter 1.16 And then ultimate purity, which is the perfection of purity in the redeemed. The experience of the redeemed when they are glorified in the presence of the Lord. When they see him as he is. And according to John, be like him as he is. All of this allows us to reiterate that well-worn phrase. The heart of every problem is a problem of the heart. The Old Testament command was keep thy heart with all diligence. The Lord Jesus himself talked about the relationship of a person's treasure to their heart. Many of the Puritans associate the word treasure with God and God alone. And when God is the treasure of your heart, when your heart beats in a singular fashion for God, then indeed you shall see God. 
it would cause us to invoke the prayer this morning. Oh, God, be thou the treasure of my heart. Actually, the song we do sing says, be thou my vision. God, let me see you. God, I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to, I want to perceive your hand in creation. I want to perceive your, your person in the communication. I want to perceive you in the circumstance of life. That's a good desire, vision. But the Lord Jesus would instruct us to know that sight the ability to see God is connected to treasuring God in heart. Loving God with all the heart, with all the mind, with all the soul. Treasuring God in heart. Let's pray.